we could ever ask. <laughs> what is able to proceed out of your mouth far more than what you are able to articulate, whether you have a kindergarten education or a PhD. Whether you like the small words or whether you like the big words, what you're able to articulate with the fruit of your lips, far more abundant than where we, what we're able to ask, what we're able to put together, the propositions and the conjunctions and the, and the participles and that which we're able to communicate in paragraphs. See, far more, but not only what's able to come out of our mouth, but what we're able to think. I don't know about you. I can think about some crazy stuff sometimes. And he says, far more abundantly than what we're able to ask and think. What, what's still in my head, what, what, I, what I'm able to consider, what I'm able to, to think about at all times. He says, I can do much more. And with that in mind, let us pray. Oh God, you are able to do all things well. And you have declared and decreed that you're able to do far more abundantly than we're able to ask or even to think. So, Father, right now, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would blow our minds. Father, I pray that you would give us new insights and understandings that will blow up our misconceived perceptions of you. Father, may you blow up the little boxes that we have chosen to live in because they're comfortable. Father, I ask that you would blow up and open up doors that, that will give us new insights to, to trust and to hold on to you even more, oh God. Father, I pray that you would, you would open up our hands, that we will no longer hold cling, cling tightly to the things of this world. I ask that you would move our feet, that we would not just be steadfast in one spot, but we will go ye therefore to all nations to make disciples. Father, I pray that you would open up our wallets, that we would give according to the riches of glory that you have given unto us. Lord, I ask that you would open up the highways and the byways, that there will be no resistance to where you want to move us and take us, O oh God. Father, may you do a new thing in this place right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, I ask that you would indeed be in this place, that you would prepare us for worship. Father, in spite of the long week, you've still been near. You've still been blessing. You've still been keeping. You've still been providing. You've still been sustaining. Father, all by the shed blood of Christ Jesus, that never runs dry. Huh. Thank you, O oh Lord, for giving us that living water. That once we partake of you, Lord, you say that we will thirst no more. So, Father, I pray that we will walk in that satisfaction right now and you and you would receive our appreciation and adoration as we worship. So, Father, I ask that you would open up 
deaf ears and give sight to blind eyes and you will prepare our hearts to receive your word. Father, may you take my weak and foolish words. Lord, I have no ability but what you have given. So, Father, I ask that you would strengthen me right now that I would be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the joy that you bring and you bring alone, oh God. Father, may you, uh, and within the sound of my voice, dear God, I ask that you would set the captives free. I ask that you would br bring deliverance, that you would bring hope, that you would bring joy, that you, that you would help us in our resolve and perseverance to be more like Jesus. Father, please do it now in the name of Jesus. Help us today. We do love you and thank you, and we would be so careful to give you, not us, you all of the glory, all of the honor, and all of the praise. In the precious name of Jesus the Christ, God's people said together, amen, 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 and amen. Blessings for us, family. It's so good to be with you on this day, and I welcome all of our uh, friends and guests and all those who are viewing online to this church gathered at Forest Baptist. And indeed, let me give you a, let me speak a, a, a happy Father's Day over to each, each and every one of our fathers. And uh, my prayer is that the Lord would, uh, would work in your heart in such a way that you would be the servant leaders that God has called you to be. That you would love the truth of his word. And that you would be moved to lead families well, that, that we would be moved to repentance in areas that we may have failed and faltered, but that ultimately God would receive the glory. But also would like to uh, acknowledge that though we celebrate, we, we know many are suffering difficulty with the loss of a father, uh, even this present year, uh, not only with loss, but just going to be real in the fact that many have not had good fathers or even fathers in their lives that should have been in their lives, but they have failed to uh, be faithful stewards over the gift of children that God has given. So even now, uh, I, I encourage you, even now in your bitterness, in your pain, in your suffering, in your loss, that you would press into Father God today that you would press in to Abba and that he would wrap his hands around you and that uh, you would experience uh, his love, his peace, his care, and his comfort as only he can give to you this day. Amen. Amen. Can we get a Lord hand clap of praise just for his, his faithfulness to us? Amen. Well, praise God, saints, and uh, even as I was thinking about uh, this, this weekend and uh, what has just been taking place, we have seen that throughout the history of America, and certainly within the last year, we have witnessed and made calls for ourselves, from ourselves, for reform in our society, right? We've heard calls for voting reform. Lord knows we need to make it easier to vote, not harder. And voter suppression would be no more. We, there have been calls to, for prison reform and how 
people of color have been policed in different ways and sentences are different. Therefore, there have been calls for policing reform. And even now, with all the mass shootings and all of the news, there's this constant drumbeat for gun reform. And as we are sending our children to, uh, to schools and we want them to be educated in the best ways, there's calls for education reform. There's all kinds and all types of reform. When we look out over the world, we see how broken it is, and we're calling for reform. And simply, this call for reform is the recognition that something ain't right. Something just ain't right. This word reform in and of itself speaks of the improvement or amended amendment of what is wrong, corrupt, or unsatisfactory. Something is wrong. And as we do look over our, our society, would we agree that we are in need of reform? Certainly. We need reform in the streets and we need reform in our homes. We need things to change. But yet, as we know that we need things to change, how does change happen? How does change occur? How is reform brought in our lives and in this society. Well, this morning, I just want us to stop by a text of Scripture as we look at an example of a man we can learn a lot from in the area of reform. Amen? So why don't you turn with me into the Old Testament to Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles, the 33rd chapter. And we're actually going to look at the end of the 33rd chapter into the beginning of the 34th chapter. And as we like to do on holidays like these, we, we like to spotlight individuals, uh, men and women, that we can learn a lot from. So may we learn a lot from this man on Father's Day. And we'll be looking at the, the story of King Josiah. This story is uh, laid out for us in both 2 Kings, the 22nd chapter onward, and here in 2 Chronicles, the 34th chapter onward. But specifically, I want us to take a look at what God used him to do in the life of Judah. So 2 Chronicles, the 33rd chapter, beginning with the 21st verse. And if you are able to stand in honor of the reading of God's word, please stand with me this morning. This is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. Ammon was 22 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned two years in Jerusalem. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, as Manasseh, his father, had done. Ammon sacrificed to all the images that Manasseh, his father, had made and served them. And he did not humble himself before the Lord as Manasseh, his father, had humbled himself. But this Ammon incurred guilt more and more. And his servants conspired against him and put him to death in his house. But the people of the land struck down all those who had conspired against King Ammon. And the people of the land made Josiah, his son, king in his place. 34 verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, 
And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of David, his father. And he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David, his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the ashram and the carved and the metal images. Now turn with me over to verse 33 to complete this. Same chapter, verse 33. And it says, And Josiah took away all the abominations from all the territory that belonged to the people of Israel and made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God all his days they did not turn away from following the Lord the God of their fathers may the Lord a blessing to the reading of his word you may be seated this morning I just wanted to uh, preach on the subject this morning how reformation happens how reformation happens and at this point in the story and the history of Israel, Josiah has begun to reign in the kingdom. But, that, but getting to his reign is a, is a long story because when we think back at exactly what happened and how Israel gets to this point in their lives, originally when God brought Israel, the people of Israel into the land, uh, they, he would establish a theocracy. A theocracy is not a democracy. It's, it's where God is in complete control and in charge. It's better than a democracy because in a democracy, sinful people try to make godly decisions. But in a theocracy, God is always making the right decisions. But the people wanting more, not seeming to be satisfied with who God is, just like their forefathers in the land where they weren't satisfied with the manna, but they were grumbling. They weren't satisfied with being led uh, to liber into, into liberation. They actually wanted to go back into slavery. But the people here uh, commit the same type of sin and not being fully satisfied with God. And they began to call out and cry out that they wanted a king like every other nation. And God says, be careful what you ask for, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. And God appoints and anoints Saul to be king over Israel. And as Saul rules, we quickly learn that uh, he is not fully after God's own heart and he's not completely obedient. So God appoints another one who would be obedient to his will, uh, the, the little shepherd boy named David. And God appoints David and throughout a number of situations and circumstances, David comes to rule in Israel, this one kingdom, and he expands the territory because uh, as he is obedient to God, he, he, he takes more of the land from the, those who are wicked and evil and are against God. And by the end of David's reign, there is no nation like Israel in that particular region. And as David goes on and, and, passes, up and passes away, his son Solomon comes to to rule and to reign over Israel. And the Bible tells us that there wasn't anyone else uh, uh, previously or past 
that was as wise as Solomon. And because that was his prayer in order to, to, to govern and to rule over Israel uh, with righteousness and, uh, and according to God's will, God blesses him with everything else. And he rules in the land, but towards the end of his reign, he begins to uh, acquire more wives and more stuff, and he becomes distracted. And once he passes away, the kingdom is now placed into the hands of his son, Rehoboam. And from there, we see that Rehoboam makes the foolish mistake of, of, of pressing on the people even more in his pride. He causes more harm to the people, and what God does is he, he breaks the kingdom in two and divides the kingdom. Ten tribes go under the rule of Jeroboam to the north, and only two tribes in the south are left. So in the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, now that once mighty nation is divided against itself, and throughout the years, they will even go, go to war against one another. But as we see uh, in Kings and Chronicles, all the different leaders who show up on the scene to rule God's people, all of the kings in Israel are, are proven to be evil. As a matter of fact, uh, as everyone comes to rule the the, the phrase is said, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And Judah wasn't that much better, but it was a little better. Because not every king in Judah was evil. Most were evil, but some were faithful. And this is where we are right here in these moments. At this point of history, Israel has already fallen and have been taken captivity to uh, the kingdom of Assyria because of their sin, because of their disobedience, because they, they turned from serving God and God alone. And Judah is heading in the same direction, following uh, kings into their evil. And when we look back, you have King Hezekiah, who was Josiah's great-grandfather, who did uh, what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But his son Manasseh and his son Amnon, uh, Ammon uh, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So now all of Judah is, is steeped in wickedness, steeped in idolatry, steeped in disobedience. They're, they are rebelling against their God, the one who has set them up. Sounds a little bit familiar, doesn't it? But what God does, he gives them one final chance. And now Josiah becomes the king. And what Josiah does is he brings about a reform to the entire culture where instead of being disobedient to the commandments of only having God as, as their own, only God, he, uh, he, he begins to bring them back into commitment to the Lord. What Josiah does next is an example of bringing about reform to an entire nation and to an entire society. What Josiah does, he, he doesn't wait just on legislation to come. He doesn't wait on electing the right people. He doesn't wait for the circumstance to be as favorable as possible. But what takes place in Josiah's heart is the desire to be faithful to the Lord, and through his faithfulness, reform comes. 
in this text. As a matter of fact, we witness that reform happens when you have the courage to begin seeking, believing, and obeying God. That's our big idea for today. Reform happens when you have the courage to begin seeking, believing, and obeying God. Look here in verses 1 through 3. Josiah, as the text says, is just eight years old when he's called to leave. As a child, the the Lord uh, moves out Ammon and brings him to be the king of all of Israel. I'm sure he had people around him that, that would help him, but even at just eight years old, he has this great responsibility placed upon his shoulders. But in the midst of that great responsibility, instead of trying to figure out what's best for him, he, he desires to do what's best in God's eyes. And he says, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of David, his father. And then the text says in verse 3, this is, the, this is the key right here. For in the eighth year of this reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David, his father. Beloved, reform happens when you begin seeking after God. Notice in the text, it doesn't say that Josiah began to follow after his father Ammon or his father's father Manasseh. In uh, following after uh, the, 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 the human legacy, that seed of sin is just permeates throughout the culture. But what we see is that the anointed one that God has chosen, David, he's following after the one who had a, a heart after God. So he points out that he's not going to be like these others who led in a way that brought the people uh, further away from God, but he's going to bring the people and lead them in a way that brings honor to God. And unlike his father, Josiah wasn't self-seeking. Josiah was God-seeking. Beloved, don't you know that uh, instead of being God-seeking, many times we are self-seeking. What do I mean? Self-seeking means that I'm going to do what I like more than anything else. I'm going to be the one that seeks pleasure. I, I want comfort for myself. I don't want to work too hard. I don't want this. I don't want to the, just to be all caught up in this Christian stuff. I just kind of want to do my thing, but have my sad stuff that I still do too. And uh, I'm worried about what other people may say. I still want to have fun and uh, I, I still want to be amazing in the eyes of this world. But, but instead of being self-seeking, Josiah was willing to put down all of those accolades and all of those praises and to be God-seeking. See, God-seeking is the type of heart posture that says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ Christ lives within me now. It's, It's not about me. It's about who Jesus is and how he wants to rule in my life. To be God-seeking is to actually fill out that profession of faith that Jesus is Lord. If you've ever made that profession of faith, you have to be mindful of every single decision, every single choice that you're making in your life. Is this a self-seeking decision or is this a God-seeking decision? And it doesn't just happen once. In order to be truly God-seeking, it's decision by decision. It's just one at a time. If I can take one step towards faithfulness, 
and, and one more step towards godliness and, and one more te- step towards loving Jesus. And, and one, it's just step by step by step. And then when you look up, when you've taken enough steps that demonstrate your faithfulness, you look back and say, Lord, oh, how you've blessed me. Lord, I came out of that situation. Lord, you brought me out that situation. You brought me out of that circumstance just because I was faithful step by step by step. And this is what is is taking place in Josiah's life. He has determined that he would be God-seeking. How do we know that he becomes God-seeking in the sense that he becomes faithful? Notice that as Josiah begins to seek after God, he turns the entire nation's attention away from false gods. If you look down after verse 4, we didn't read it, but let me just read a little bit for you. It says right here, and they chopped down the altars of the Baals. That was a false god of the day in his presence. And he cut down the incense altars that stood above them. He, and he broke in pieces the ashram and the carved and the metal images. And he made dust of them and scattered it over the graves of those who sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and, and Jerusalem. And in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Naphtali, in their ruins all around, he broke down the altars and, and beat the ashram and the images into powder and cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel. Then he returned to Jerusalem. Because he began to seek after God, he was only consumed with God's desire and God's plan for the people in Israel. And because he was seeking after God, he was too busy to be distracted. He said, all these other gods is just a distraction to to me and to the people. As a matter of fact, if we were to set our face on these other gods, we would not draw closer to God. We would be drawn farther away from him. Beloved, don't you know that if you're going to turn your attention towards Jesus, you're going to have to let some things go that's distracting you. When you're seeking after God, you're you're able to let go of this world's false gods. A lot of times when a person is is struggling with the decision about coming to Christ, what they're most caught up with is what they're going to lose, what they're not going to have, what what they're not going to be able to do. Beloved, that is just a distraction of Satan. That is a satanic distraction. A uh, uh, roadblock placed in your way to believe that the things of this world is actually as sweet and as satisfying as God is. Because if God is your center, if God is your treasure, you have all things in one. If he is the one that's in front of you, you don't have to look to the left or the left look to the right. You don't have to be mindful about it. If you are so satisfied in who Jesus is, you won't have to worry about being distracted. You give me a husband that's satisfied with his wife, I'll show you a man that you ain't got to worry about a wandering eye. He's so satisfied in his wife that when they're walking down the street hand to hand, you won't catch him jerking back and forth as the women walk past him. He won't be looking back behind him, worrying about what's out there because he knows what he gets right here. And what Jesus is saying, when you're married to the Lamb, When you're married to King Jesus, who else can offer you anything else? 
because Jesus has it all. He says all of those. You think he's sweet or she's sweet because they could buy you a diamond ring? Jesus says all authority in heaven and on earth. That means everything belongs to him. He has all treasure, all power in his hand. The one who has Jesus has it all. When you're seeking after God, you won't be distracted. See, our issue is when we think about false gods, we think about little statues sitting up in our closets. But the gods of the world this day, these days, is the God of greed. Just give me some more money. I don't care what job I got to take. Just give me more money. I don't care how many hours I got to work. Just give me more money. I don't care how long I got to be away from my family. Just give me more money. The gods of this world are power. I don't care what nobody else says as long as I'm in control, as long as I'm in charge, as long as everybody's doing it my way, my way or the highway. The gods of this world are glory. I, I want people to look at me and say, oh, what, what a beautiful Facebook post. Oh, what, what, a, what a sophisticated and intelligent tweet you just laid out. We want to go viral because we want people to know celebrity is a god of this world. We want our name and likes. We want, it, we want to bedazzle and we want likes all around it because we're worried about celebrity. We, we are so sad as a nation that people are just famous for being famous. They haven't contributed to society. They haven't discovered a cure for cancer. They haven't helped the economy uh, with the economic boost. They haven't done anything. They just was walking around naked one day and got caught, and now they famous. Oh, what? How, how do we esteem that? But, but, but that is what we're pursuing. So in, instead of being modest on social media, we're trying to be as buck wild as possible so we get all the clicks and likes. What, that is the God of this world, and we only care about power, glory, and celebrity, you would be devoured by your own devices because it's never enough. Let you say one wrong thing, and they're coming for you. Let you look wrong, one wrong way. Let, 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 let your makeup be out of place one day. They're talking about you. Let you pick up a few pounds, and, and you ain't got that six-pack no more. They're talking about you. Let, let, let you not star in a, a couple movies for a while and your sense of relevance is gone. Uh, uh, when you're chasing the false gods of this world, no matter how you attach yourself to it, it will only be temporary satisfaction. We need more people to be like the psalmist in 63 and 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My, my soul thirsts for you. We need people who will actually live by Matthew 6, Don't just quote it because it's cute. We need people who are going to live this out. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What is God saying? Stop worrying about everything else and just follow me. Stop worrying about what's on the left or what's on the right. But seek me and my righteousness, and you will have everything else. Reformation, reform happens when you be begin to seek after God, but then secondly, reform happens when you begin believing God's word. Look what happens in, uh, going into verse 14. Because after he begins to tear down everything, it says that in the 18th year of his reign, 
Josiah, he gives the command to begin to repair the temple. For whatever reason, the temple had gotten into some disrepair. The temple was an important place in the life of Israel because it was that place that represented God dwelling with his people. What Josiah wanted is to refresh the place that God was dwelling with his people. Beloved, I believe today some of us need to refresh that place. I ain't talking about a church. I'm talking about your heart. We need to be refreshed. We need to be revitalized. We need to be renewed. But, beloved, some of our hearts are in disrepair. And we need to begin to work on our hearts in order so that God may dwell richly, the fullness of God may be on display within our lives. And Josiah is, is, is sending people to make repairs to the temple because he cares about how God is represented. If he didn't care about how God was represented, he would have never made any repairs to the temple. Beloved, do you care how you represent God? Is your Christianity dilapidated, broken, and falling? Beloved, your Christianity ain't just your Christianity. Your Christianity is a representation of the one who saved you. When God brought out Abraham, he said, I'm going to make you a nation that you will be a blessing to all the other nations. How would they be a blessing to all of the other nations? Would they be able to set up a, a, a charitable fund to, to fund all the other nations, to bless them that way? Would they be able to set up a kingdom that uh, uh, all the other nations would begin to have houses? No, they would be a blessing to the other nations in, in the fact that they were set apart and sanctified and holy to the Lord. And they would live in such a way that the nations would say, oh, what's wrong with them? They only serve one God and they don't do the things that we do. Maybe, just maybe, they know something that we don't know. What God wants his people to be and to do right now is to be in repair and not dilapidated that others may see how we function, how we talk, how we walk, and say, there must be a God. There must be a God because those folks are just different. They don't cuss you out when you offend them. They don't run you off the road because you uh, was tailgating them. They're different. They're actually generous. They open up the doors of their home and feed people. And they don't have a lot of gas, but with the gas they got, they, they help people, take them around. It's different about them. They ain't asked me to put five on it. They just came and got me. So as Josiah is seeking to demonstrate the glory of God through repair. Watch this. This is amazing. His commitment to the Lord uncovers his word. Because as he gives the direction to Hilkiah, the priest, the priest, they're in there cleaning up, and it says that he finds the book of the law. For whatever reason, the word of God had disappeared from the life of Israel. I'm Judah. For whatever reason, uh, the law which Moses had handed down, had written out, and had placed in the temple, for some reason, somebody took the word of God off the table and put it up on a shelf somewhere, and people weren't able to see it anymore. 
I don't know what's going on in your house. But if you've taken the word of God off the table, metaphorically speaking, where you talk about Jesus and you pray with Jesus and you're reading about Jesus and, and you take your Christianity and set it on the shelf, those are times where, 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 where the temple of the Lord will be found in disrepair. But they find the book of the law, and upon hearing the contents of the book of the law, Josiah is a burden with the conviction of sin. They read the word of God to him, and he's convicted of, of their sin. Maybe, maybe they open up to Deuteronomy 28. Maybe they read for him verses 1 through 6 and says, And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God, blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of the, your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and your uh, young of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall be uh, when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. Maybe they were just reading from Deuteronomy 28, but then maybe uh, as they were reading, they walked over to the 15th verse, and he heard the words, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall, be you, uh, shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall be you when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. And as they were reading, maybe, maybe they came up on Deuteronomy, the 30th chapter, verses 15 through 18, where, where God is saying and has spoke through Moses, and Moses says to the people, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. When, when Josiah hears these words, he is cut to the heart. He is like, oh, Lord, we have not been faithful to you. Notice what Josiah doesn't do. He believes God. Josiah doesn't say, no, that can't be true. God really didn't mean that. He doesn't say, oh, God is a God of love and wouldn't punish any people for their sin. Josiah doesn't say, oh, that book was just written by a man. He doesn't say, God knows my heart. He doesn't say, well, we're only human. 
He believes God when he says, when God says what he says. He doesn't come up with an excuse. He doesn't come up with a workaround. He says, when God says his wrath is going to be poured upon Judah, Judah, he believes God and repents. Beloved, we got to get to the point where we actually believe God. We got to get to the point where we actually believe all of this, not just some of this. It's easy to believe that you are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Oh, you're the head and not the tail. It's easy to believe that, that you're walking the faith. It's easy to believe, but, but can you believe you need to put aside sinfulness? You need to put aside wickedness. Can, can, do, do we believe when it says, no, no sinners will be allowed into the kingdom of heaven? And such were some of you. When, when we uh, uh, are reading and intaking God's word, we can't just believe part of it. We got to believe all of it. And Josiah believes all of it. Why do I think he believes all of it? Because in verse 27, in verse 27 of the 34th chapter, Josiah sends a group to Huldah the prophetess, and she begins to reveal to them what God is saying through his word. And she says that the Lord of God, he's saying, uh, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and its inhabitants, and you have humbled yourself before me and have torn your clothes before me and wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Look what God's word does to Josiah's heart. God's word takes his heart and makes it soft and turnable. Josiah's belief in God's word actually produces a heart of repentance. Beloved, a heart of repentance is easily turned by the Lord. You wondering why you can't change? You wondering why you don't want to change? You wondering why? Jesus is not exciting you. You wondering why that maybe you just got a hard heart. Because when the Lord takes hold of your heart by his word and soft as it, he can turn it to the right or to the left. When you have a soft heart, then you become like the prophet Isaiah. Send me, I'll go. Wherever it is, Lord, I'll go. Just because you're sending me. So reform happens when you begin seeking after God, when you begin believing God's word, but then thirdly, reform happens when you begin obeying God's word. In verse 29, Huldah has told Josiah that because of his repentance during his lifetime, he would not take away Judah into captivity but they'll be blessed. And as they come back to the people, the, uh, the king assembles all of his elders, and then he begins to read from the book of the covenant. He begins to read God's word to the people himself. And then after he reads the, the word of God to the people himself, he makes a covenant before the Lord that he will walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments. Verse 31, and the king stood in his place, 
and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in the book. Beloved, not only did Josiah and the people hear God's word, Josiah and the people began to obey God's word. How do we know? Because they began to put away all of their sins of commission and omission. They began to put away and destroy all of those uh, idols and, and, and wherever they were, they was getting rid of those distractions. Verse 33, it says, And Josiah took away all the abominations from the territory that belonged to the people of Israel and made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. They began to, to remove that which would cause them to stumble. All of these false gods, they began to take them out of their lives. Those are sins of commission. They, they know what they're doing. They're, they're not being obedient, so they're committing these. But in, ver- in chapter 35, I won't go into it, the, they have been guilty of the sins of omission. What is that? That means instead of committing sin that you knowingly do, you knowingly don't do what God has called you to do. They had been called to observe the Passover since Exodus. And here they are as a people who've been going through the motions as God's people, but not obeying what he has called them to do. And Josiah, he reinstitutes the the Passover, and he reinstitutes it in such a way. Verse 18 of the 35th chapter says, No Passover like it had been kept in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet. None of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as was kept by Josiah and the priests and the Levites and all Judah and Israel who were present and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. What he's saying is, Lord, forgive us for all those sins we have committed, but Father, please forgive us for not being obedient what you have called us to do. Don't you know in Scripture, there are some times that Lord is calling you to speak a word on his behalf, but we're being sinful and disrespectful by shutting our own mouths. The Lord has given us doorways, and we're closing them back. The Lord is trying to take people out of, out of darkness and into his marvelous light, but we won't be used of him to say anything. Do anybody know you're a Christian at your job? Do they know just because you told them, or do they know because you act like it? Do, do people know that if they are in need of a word from God, they ain't got to wait to go to church on Sunday. They just say, let me go over to the cubicle right next to me, because I know they love Jesus. I know they have a, a, a connection with Jesus. I can go to them. Beloved, we have to get to the point where we stop just worry about what I don't do. And we need to start doing what God has called us to do. He's called you and me to be salt and light in a sinful world. What does that mean? That we are not to be ascetic and and remove ourselves from the culture. I I can't fool with them. I don't want to be bothered with them. Oh, here they come. I'm going to. God has not called us to be uh, uh, monastic and, and to go away into our hill and lock ourselves in and read our Bibles and pray all day. He calls us to go out into the world. Lord, I pray that you would keep them as they are in the world, but not of the world. He has called us to make an impact on this world. How dare we not speak Jesus if Jesus impacted our own lives? If he brought a change in you, he can't bring a change in them. Don't you know where you came from? Don't you know you was off the hook? Don't you know that you was the one crazy? You was the one they was gossiping about. You was the one that they was talking about. But God, being rich in mercy, he saw fit 
to rescue your behind and you won't tell someone else about Jesus? How dare we not do what he has called us to do? It's one thing to hear God's word. It's one thing to know God's word. But at some point, at some point, you're gonna have to obey God's word. So even as we think about have I been obeying God's word, think about how has seeking, believing, and obeying God brought reform to your spheres of influence? How has God used you and your walk and your talk to change situations and circumstances in your home? How has God used you to bring reform to your job? How has God used you to bring transformation to the classroom? How has God used you to, 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 to renew and be a blessing at, uh, in your friendships? Because it's when we impact those fear, those uh, the spheres of influence that we have right here is then and only then will we see a nation claim for Jesus. Then and only then will we see a state claim for Jesus. Then and only then will we see a country claim for Jesus when we get our act together. If, 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 I, if I'm correct, I believe the text of Scripture says judgment begins with the house of the Lord. If we ain't got this right, then how do we expect someone else to get it right? But secondly, how can seeking, believing, and obeying God transform the areas of brokenness in your own life? What would, what would happen if you, re- I mean, if you really sought God? What, 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 what would happen if you, if, you, if you really, if you really start believing God? And, and you really start believing his promises? And, and you really started to believe who he said you was and not who you believe yourself to be. What if you really believe that he is the Alpha and the Omega? What if you really begin to believe that he is worth everything and more? What if you really begin to, to, to step into obedience and living for God, not saying that you would be completely perfect, but your desire is, Lord, creating me a clean heart. And renew a right spirit within me. And that's your daily prayer. You know you got a beef with them. You know you was wrong yesterday. But if you can't fix your lips to say I'm sorry to God and I'm sorry to them, then you ain't obeying the scriptures. Beloved, reform takes place in a society when you seek, believe, and obey God. Change is not so much top-down, not so much. Things happen from the top-down, but lasting change is really from the bottom-up. It's organic. But some may argue, well, Pastor, if it was so easy to seek, believe, and obey, then all of us would be doing it, wouldn't we? You know what I say? You're absolutely right. If you could do it, you would. But unfortunately, you can't, so you won't. 
Whereas reform may cause for legislation, Jesus is calling for complete transformation. And considering what God has done and how he will empower us, I'm reminded about another Old Testament story. I'm reminded about the story of when Israel was coming down from around Mount Hor. And as they were coming around, they began to complain against God. They began to complain against God and against Moses and the food that God was delivering. And as they were complaining against God, God sent fiery serpents into the camp. And as the serpents came into the camp and would bite an individual, they would die from that snake bite. And understanding that what they had done was wrong and sinful in God's eyes, they ran to Moses and said, Moses, please pray for us that God would remove these snakes. And watch that, remove these snakes. They wanted these snakes to be completely removed. But Moses, he goes to God and he prays on behalf of the people. And, and God says, this is what I want you to do. I'm not going to necessarily take the snakes away, but I'm going to give you a way out while you're living amongst the snakes. And he says, I want you to fashion for yourself a bronze fiery serpent, and I want you to put it up on the top of a hill. And when people look to the top of that hill, it no matter where they were, how many bites they have, or how long they've been afflicted, if they got enough faith, if they got enough hope just to look up, they ain't got to cry out or say nothing. They just got to look up. And when they look upon the bronze serpent, they will look and they will live. So what did Moses do? He fixed the, the bronze fiery serpent on top. And the text of Scripture says, if I'm not mistaken, that as the snakes were still there, you get that? God didn't remove the snakes. He just made a way for healing in the midst of the snakes. And he says that as the people began to look up, those with faith, those with hope, those knowing that they were in an impossible situation, those know that they had been bitten and they was about to die. They was about to leave this life because the venom was in their veins pulsing and coursing. And they didn't have any, any anti-venom back in the day. So they knew that once I was bit by sin, I mean the snake, that I would die. But people who believe the word of God as delivered through Moses, they didn't have to cry out. They didn't have to say the sinner's prayer. They merely had to look and live. They, they had to get to the point where they would stop looking around and worried about the snakes where they was at. They just had to look and they would be up. See, we are worried sometimes more about what's going on around us, what we have to avoid. But God is just saying, look and live. But Lord, I ain't strong enough to, to stop this sin. He says, look. He said, Lord. I said, I've been in this sin, but I've been addicted for all these years of my life. He says, look. He says, Lord, but this relationship just feels so good now. I love him so much. He says, just look. I said, Lord, but, but my marriage is broken and it's failing. He says, look. He says, I've been on this job and I ain't getting no recognition. I just hate it. What does he say? Look. And God is telling somebody today, stop trying to figure it out yourself and just Look. And live. Look and live. Look and live. Just look and live. Because when we look to Jesus, we're saying, I can't, but you can. 
I can't. But you can. God, I can't do it. But you can. God, I can't turn around. But you can turn me around. Praise God that he pours out grace and mercy upon his children in order that we can look and live. And we look to Jesus through repentance and faith. Lord, I'm sorry for living for myself. Please forgive me. I believe you are the risen Savior who laid down his life on Calvary for my sake. Please come into my life and heal me. Help me to look and to live. Ultimately, reformation can never happen apart from the transformation of God. Reform happens when you have the courage to begin seeking, believing, and obeying God. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ, for whom the Son says free is free indeed. And Father, I thank you that you fulfill that promise by stating, if I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men, women, boys, and girls unto me. And Father, today I pray that by the blood of Christ Jesus, you would speak to someone's heart, they would turn from living for themselves, and they would live for Jesus and be saved. Help someone today to look and to live. So, Father, thank you so much for this time, the opportunity to dig into your word, to hear from on high. Lord, we love you. We thank, Lord, we don't take it for granted that you have given us ears to hear. Father, we don't take it for granted that you have given us eyes to see. Lord, may we not take it for granted that may we never forsake the assembly of the saints. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you. We don't deserve you, but yet you love us in spite of ourselves. So we say thank you. May you have your way. In Jesus' name we do pray. And all God's people said together, amen, amen, amen.